see you here. Thank you for coming out on this extremely hot holiday Sunday evening. You are to be rewarded. So tonight, uh, just go to Dairy Queen and tell them that uh, you have earned a free ice cream for being in church tonight. It'll be interesting to see what kind of response that you get, but when I was uh, a teenager, I used to like playing uh, practical jokes. I did a lot of phone jokes on uh, people, and uh, we had a high school uh, basketball player, really nice guy, he was our point guard, and uh, he had a very good game. So I called him and said that I was representing the the local uh, sporting goods store that was there in Leesport. And I said, you played such a great game, you, you have earned a basketball. And I uh, commended him not only for his play, but also for his uh, character. And I said, just walk in and claim your basketball. So the next day, he uh, came to practice with a brand new basketball. Uh, he walked into the store, the manager wasn't there, uh, there was a clerk behind the counter. He said, I just won a, a basketball for uh, the game I played uh, last night. They said, well, I didn't hear anything about it, but here you are. And so they gave him a basketball. So you never know. Maybe you'll get some free ice cream. But uh, <clears throat> thanks for coming out tonight. We are looking at Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, the theme of tonight's message is that God's people have grown weary of God, and in turn, God has grown weary of his people. The key verses are Malachi 1.13, which we looked at a few weeks ago, but you say, what a weariness this is, referring to the offering of the sacrifices, referring to the, the worship that they were to enter into. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or is sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord. So the priests were, were talking about what a weariness it was uh, to have to labor in this work of service to the Lord. So in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, it says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. So now uh, things have been a bit tit for tat. They had claimed what a weariness service to God was, now God talks about the weariness that his people were to himself. You have wearied the Lord with your words. So tonight we begin by looking at the structure. Uh, the passage unfolds in a very uh, normative way for the book of Malachi. First there's the charge. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Then we have the people's response. But you say, how have we wearied him? Once again, the people are in amazement uh, that they would be characterized in this way. Uh, it seems that they have been blind to their own uh, sinfulness. They have uh, thought that God ought to be pleased with their mere showing up, but they are surprised when it says that they have wearied the Lord. So the question is, how have we wearied him? God's response is that they have wearied him with their words. And in particular, there are two statements that they have made which characterize their uh, attitude at the time. First, 
the underlined section, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. And then secondly, the end of verse 17, or by asking, where is the God of justice? So these two aspects are the way in which the people have wearied God. The first, by asking or saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Uh, there is not a lot of change that comes down uh, through the, the centuries when it comes to human nature. And this uh, characteristic is still present with us today. And that is that uh, people talk about the way in which God delights in people, even if they are quite sinful in their behavior. Uh, that, that God is pleased no matter what it is that we do or how it is that we, we live. And there is a re-evaluation of what is evil so that what is evil is now pronounced to be good. Uh, certainly we would not expect some of that in the church. It's amazing what goes on in the world. Um, how things that are downright wrong are considered to be just fine and appropriate and uh, acceptable today. I don't need to give a lot of examples. I think you could fill those in for yourselves. But we need to be careful because in the church there's more and more of that as well. That uh, we looked last uh, two weeks ago at divorce and certainly uh, the church, uh, Christendom as a whole, is taking a, a far different view of divorce today than what it once did. And uh, so there's this tendency of uh, calling that which is evil good in God's sight. The second is by asking, where's the God of justice? Why doesn't God do something about this? Why doesn't God judge people? Why doesn't God bring these kinds of behaviors to an end? So those are, are two very different responses to evil. Number two, the charge considered. First, a consideration of the theological contradiction. Uh, this morning, I talked about uh, the so-called theological uh, dilemma that's found in the book of Jonah. Uh, as God said that the city was going to be destroyed in 40 days, and then he relented. How do you explain that? And we talked about how that was not a prophecy. It was a uh, warning of judgment, and that uh, Jeremiah uh, spoke specifically uh, concerning that very event. So uh, what are we to understand about God being weary? Our text states that God is wearied. Malachi 2.17 ESV, you have wearied the Lord with your words. NASB, uh, you have wearied the Lord with your words. NIV, you have wearied the Lord with your words. King James, you have wearied the Lord with your words. I'm just showing you that it's consistently translated that way. And it's a very appropriate translation. That's what the word means. You have wearied the Lord. Elsewhere, the scripture states that it is impossible for God to grow weary. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. NAS. Does not become weary or tired. NIV, he will not grow tired or weary. King James, he faints not, neither is weary. So here we have 
a verse of scripture that says, God does not grow weary. And we have in the book of Malachi saying, you have wearied the Lord. So which is it? How is this apparent contradiction to be resolved? Well, there are 11 different Hebrew words that are translated in the English as the word weary. One might expect that the Hebrew word in Malachi 2.17 is a different word than that which is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. While it is a different form of the word, nevertheless, it is the same word, so it is not resolved by a simple definition of what this word means. In other words, I'm telling you that the same word in Hebrew for God does not grow weary is the same word in Hebrew that says you have wearied the Lord. Uh, so again, we have to ask ourselves, well, how do you resolve that contradiction? B, it's to be resolved by context. God does not grow physically wearied or fatigued as demonstrated in Isaiah. This is consistent in the word of God. God does not grow physically tired or weary. Isaiah 40, verse 28 and following. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to those that have no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So it's talking about the difference between human beings and God. The word for young men in Isaiah chapter 40 is uh, really a word for uh, the people who are uh, in the elite armed services. Uh, we can think of uh, for example, the Navy SEALs or uh, the Green Berets for the Army, the, those that are best trained, uh, those that are the most physically fit, uh, those that are the prime examples. It says even those people eventually grow weary. They get tired. They can only march for so long. They can only go to battle for a certain period of time. And eventually, no matter how good a shape they're in, they are growing tired. But God, in this passage, is everlasting. Uh, he exists for all eternity past and all eternity future. And God does not age. God does not grow weary. God does not become tired. Uh, God's strength never saps or fails. Two, however, God does grow tired or weary or impatient regarding man's sinfulness. Uh, God does get tired of mankind's conduct. He does get to the point of not willing to bear with it any longer. For example, Isaiah 43, 24, just a few chapters over in the book of Isaiah. You have not... Uh, you have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifice, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. 
So the Bible is consistent in telling us that God does not grow physically weary or tired, for he is the source of all strength. He is the creator God. But he does grow weary or tired in the sense of putting up with man's iniquities. There comes a point in time in which God is going to bring about justice. And so he says to his people, you have wearied me in what you have said. It is indeed sinful. So in our context, God has become wearied through his people's continual sinning. And in this instance, it's those words that they have spoken, those two uh, miss. Uh, construe, misconstruings of God's actions and attitudes. Uh, three, the response of the people to God's charge, but you say, how have we wearied him? Next, God explains the manner in which the people wearied him. The people have wearied him in two ways. First, they wearied God by saying that those who do evil are good, and that God takes great pleasure in them. Malachi 2.17. By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And that he delights in him. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those people that <clears throat> sanction illicit or immoral behaviors. Or sanction false teaching, or sanction, in this case, these sacrifices that were being offered, even though they were contrary to God's word, saying that those sacrifices that were being offered, though they were being offered half-heartedly, though they were offering sacrifices with blemish, though they were being offered with this uh, disdain for the sacrificial system, that God accepted those sacrifices, and the fact that God took pleasure in those sacrifices. Again, I would say that that kind of attitude is quite uh, apparent in our generation, in our day. Uh, I mentioned before that there are a lot of people that think as long as you go to church, God is pleased. So tonight I had a little bit of fun with you as we looked out and said, well, you know, uh, you made the sacrifice, you were here tonight. Uh, but the reality is, if, if someone is going to a church that's not preaching the gospel, uh, God is not pleased with that. Uh, God does not take great pleasure in that. Although, there'd be many people that would think, well, uh, better to go to church, any church, than not to go at all. Uh, but that's what we do. We take what the Word of God says and turn it on its head by what we think the Word of God should say, or by what we think. God's response ought to be. Uh, so there requires a lot of discipline that we stay true to the word of God and do not cave to our culture, do not cave to all of the uh, attitudes that surround us. Uh, but we need to stay uh, firm in our allegiance to the scripture. Secondly, they wearied God by saying, there is no justice with God the end of Malachi 2.17, or by asking, where is the God of justice? The question is, why doesn't God punish the evil that abounds? And then the question further asked, does God actually exist? Uh, maybe you have temp been tempted. 
yourself uh, to ask those very questions. Why do the evil prosper? Uh, why do people get away with the things that they do? Where is God? Uh, where is his movement? Where is his working? Why does God put up with these things? See, both of these responses are inappropriate responses to evil round about them. We can't explain it away, nor can we blame God and say it's because he doesn't act or work. So now God corrects the response to the people. His first corrective message is that God will indeed punish evil and reward good. There is a day coming. You ask, where's the God of justice? Believe me, he's going to show up. And it's going to be a day of reckoning when he does. God will send a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, I send a messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Uh, that is John the Baptist. That is Elijah. We will look more at that in the verses that lie ahead in the weeks to come. The wicked will not be accepted in the day of judgment. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? This is referring not to his first coming, but his second coming. Uh, when uh, Christ comes in judgment. And at that point, who can endure? Uh, who can stand? Uh, who can be uh, found pleasing in God's sight? Answer, only those that are cleansed uh, through sacrifice. Malachi 3.3. 3. He will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So those that offer uh, their righteousness, uh, offerings that are truly righteous, are going to be acceptable to God, as opposed to, in Malachi's day, these sacrifices that are unacceptable. Uh, <clears throat> transformed uh, into our days? Uh, the answer is those who have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. Those who have acknowledged the need of Christ to be our sacrifice. Any other hope, any other confidence, any other source of looking for righteousness is going to be found to be unacceptable. The only righteousness that is going to be found to be acceptable and pleasing in God's sight is the righteousness that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, it is when people that have, done, have, have been purified through a legitimate sacrifice that God delights in those who have done evil. Malachi 3.4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. God is then going to be pleased. So there is a sense in which God is pleased with us even though we have done evil because that evil has been cleansed. That evil has been forgiven. That evil has been paid for by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while at one time we were children of wrath, now we become his beloved sons. We are not what we once were. Uh, we now are acceptable in God's sight. And yes, he actually has pleasure in us. He actually delights in us. Not our sinfulness, 
but in the righteousness that we possess because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is those whose sacrifice is acceptable to God. B, God will indeed bring justice to those who do evil and who have not been cleansed through legitimate sacrifice. God will indeed bring judgment. Malachi 3.5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. As I said this morning, uh, the message of judgment is becoming more and more rare in evangelical circles. Uh, the whole concept of the hell, the whole concept that not everyone is acceptable in God's sight. Back to, <clears throat> as in Malachi's day, those who do evil, uh, God is pleased with. That seems to be a purveying kind of uh, approach uh, uh, to one's uh, theolo the theology for today. But the scripture says, I will draw near to you for judgment. God will act swiftly and decisively. It says, I will be a swift witness. Uh, they say, where is this God of justice? Why doesn't he act? God says, when I return, I will act and I will act swiftly. Uh, when uh, the time of judgment comes, there is going to be no uh, delay, but it is going to be swift. It's going to be complete. And then God delineates the kind of evil that he will judge. He uh, gives us a representation. This is not a full accounting by any means, but it is a way of demonstrating that those who call evil good uh, are wrong and what God calls evil is evil. And so these are some of the evil practices that God is going to judge. I only underlined them for you. I put them in uh, separate verses. I'm not going to read the whole verse, uh, except uh, the first time through Malachi 3.5. But they are all examples of evil that he will not accept. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against, first of all, the sorcerers. Those who are uh, misrepresenting God through uh, false uh, displays of power. Uh, those that are able perhaps uh, to do miracles or feign miracles. Uh, God is going to be displeased with those that seek to draw people away from God through their own powers uh, and through the powers of the evil one. Next, against the adulterers. Uh, in Malachi, the adulterers are both uh, those that worship a false god, as we saw uh, a couple weeks ago, that uh, God is viewed as being married to his people. Then for them to worship a, a false god is to commit spiritually, uh, spiritual adultery. <clears throat> the other is a literal adultery, as we looked at uh, Last week, or two weeks ago, uh, last time we met on this particular subject when we looked at the whole issue of divorce. Um, so it's talking about moral impurity. Um, 
those that are uh, acting in a, an impure moral way, they're going to receive judgment. Against those who swear falsely, those who lie, are going to experience judgment. Against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, uh, the person that is uh, an abuser of his fellow mankind. Uh, it's interesting, I suppose, uh, the way in which, uh, and I've done a series on this in the past, but what, what we think of as evil or, or sinful and uh, how that is based somewhat almost generationally uh, where the older generation talks about moral issues such as adultery, etc., and the younger generation seems to talk more about social justice issues. Uh, the reality is we should be concerned about both, both moral issues and social justice issues. Uh, God hates oppression. Uh, and notice that the oppression in this section is not even slavery. It is oppressing the hired worker in his wages of not paying people what they are worth or withholding their pay from them. Uh, that is evil. Uh, I don't think in a lot of Christian circles uh, that is really looked at as all that bad. Okay? We don't tend to think about uh, minimum wage as being a moral issue. Uh, we don't tend to think about the economy as being a moral issue. That there is such a, a, a diversity between those that make millions and millions of dollars and the workers that work for those people that make millions and millions of dollars and uh, sometimes are in sweatshops and uh, children are being taken advantage of in, in foreign countries so that uh, we can uh, have uh, clothing at very reduced prices. In a lot of Christian circles, that's just overlooked. Uh, it's just the way life is. That's just the way the, the cookie crumbles. But the scripture refers to that as evil, refers to that as wicked. It's again, just one of the ways in which people call that which is evil good and say that God delights in it. Uh, <clears throat> because we are a wealthy nation uh, as a whole, uh, it's easy for us to swallow uh, what goes on in other nations around the world and how we participate in it to some extent. Uh, but it displeases God. Moving on. Against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless. Uh, these are the people in society of which they have no clout. They have uh, no economic clout. They have no political clout. Uh, these are the people that are easily taken advantage of. Uh, and uh, God says that is evil, that is wicked. God is going to, to judge and punish uh, those that take advantage of the widow, that take advantage of the fatherless. Moving on. Those who thrust aside the sojourner, those that turn their back on the non-citizens. Uh, Israel is called upon to remember time and time again that they were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And they are to treat differently the sojourners that are among them. Again, we live in a society right now that immigration is a huge issue. 
The temptation is to see it only as a political or economic issue. In the scriptures, it's a moral issue. That we have a responsibility for peoples of other nations in the oppression that they are under and their desire to escape from uh, that oppression and also for an opportunity which is ours uh, to share the gospel with those that God brings to our shore. Uh, we're supposed to go to them. God brings them to us. But it is so easy to back off and say, that's this political issue, that's this economical issue, that has nothing to do with me as a Christian, that has nothing to do with the Bible, that has nothing to do about good and evil, this is just about my lifestyle, this is just about how this impinges upon, maybe I'm not going to get the, the job or, or whatever, but it doesn't come down to morality. And you can see how the people in... in uh, Malachi's day would have said, what do you mean? How have we wearied you? Uh, you can almost see how today Christians would say, what do you mean? Uh, how, have, how have we failed you when you're talking about stuff like immigration? Oh, I get it when you're talking about adultery. But immigration? Well, that's what it says here. Those who thrust aside the sojourner against those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, the scripture says that fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, we need to realize there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for our beliefs. There are consequences for our practices. And we need to seek to be doing that which is pleasing and honoring and glorifying to God. And we do that by simply uh, seeking to follow God's word in its entirety, not picking and choosing, and not saying that what God says is evil is good, and that God delights in it. It's okay. We really have to keep our guard up because we live in a post-Christian era. Our culture, our society is not based on the word of God. And we need to listen to the commentators on the news. We need to listen to the voices that are around us and remember constantly that they are not coming from a Christian perspective. They are not coming from an understanding of the truth of God's word. And if we aren't careful, we buy into the commentary that we hear on the radio and the television, and the newspapers, the blogs, rather than going back to the word of God and saying, what does the Bible have to say about these issues? If we're not careful, we can weary the Lord. Uh, he gets tired when we justify what in his sight is unacceptable. So let us work hard at uh, maintaining a true biblical perspective on what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, and recognizing that ultimately God himself is going to be the judge, the rewarder of good and evil, and in that day of judgment no one will stand 
having been righteous except those who stand in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only in him can we be acceptable, and only in him can he find delight. But in him, we can start to live lives that are different, even as we saw in the book of Jonah this morning, as the Ninevites said they were going to turn from their evil. Uh, let us work hard at standing against all, not just some, all of the evil of our society. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Lord, help us to stand for that which is right and holy and just and good and to speak against that which is evil and not say that you say what is evil is actually good. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Keep cool.